You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. another episode of your queer story we're your host i'm paul hobbs and my partner here as always is evan jones we're excited to have you back for part two of our discussion on conversion therapy Uh, on this episode we are addressing conversion therapy in today's societies but first we'd like to point out one thing we are tackling a broad subject and our goal for these episodes is to give an idea of how we arrived at conversion therapy today This means we cannot delve deeply into every key player or even touch on every influence along the way. In our last episode, we talked about how conversion therapy became a part of psychological treatment and some of the people who supported treatment of homosexuals and some of the people who opposed these methods. Forgot to breathe there for a little bit. (gasps) It was a really long sentence. (laughs) You know, you haven't heard of run-on sentences? You know what, bitch? I'm just trying to get all this information out. (laughs) Nobody's reading this. And if they are reading it, I don't need your grammatical judgments. That was a sprint marathon. I was getting a lot of information into one. A sprint marathon? A sentence marathon. So, we did not mention every person who had a hand in changing the perspective on homosexuality, most notably Evelyn Hooker, and yes, she was a hooker. (laughs) (laughs) Evelyn was a hard researcher, but I had a friend named Hooker, actually. She was not a hooker. No, she wasn't? No, she was a doctor. (laughs) She was a doctor hooker. We do, we do promise that in the future, we are going to deep dive into each of these characters, so have no fear. There's more to come. But for now, let's take a quick recap of the last episode and where we left yeah, off. So we just put that in there because we, I know that when these launch and you're listening to this, people are going to be like, well, you didn't talk about so-and-so. Did you know about this guy over here? Did you know about this girl? We can't cover every single person. There was a lot of people. And we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about Dr. Evelyn Hooker, who is a very key player in changing the perspective on homosexuality. But we can't talk about all of them. The point is to address conversion therapy and how we got to here today. And we can't make all these pit stops because it'll be a three-hour-long podcast. And nobody wants to listen to a three-hour-long podcast. So... If you remember, um, we talked about the concept of conversion, how the concept of conversion therapy formed in our last episode. So initially, homosexuality was seen as a crime, and those who participated in same-sex activities were considered criminals and treated as such. With the same scale of increased punishments applied for the first-time offenders through repeat offenders as with any other crime. Now, participating in homosexual acts was usually met with prison, though in some cases, the accused were publicly flogged or beaten and even hung or burned at the stake. 
But this all began to change in the late 1800s with a man who we didn't mention in the last episode, Havelock Ellis. He was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud, and some credit him as the actual father of conversion therapy. Ellis actually devoted his life to the study of homosexuality, and in 1896, he published a book titled Sexual Inversions, and we also talked about inversion therapy in the last episode. So, um, question, was he gay? Um, No, he wasn't. He wasn't gay, um, and he had the same thing, um, he had the same opinions as Freud, where he, like, Freud and him came up kind of, like, people credit Ellis with conversion therapy because he was the first person who really came forward and said homosexuals are sick they're not uh, criminals they're not deviants and Freud agreed they disagreed on some elements Um, Havelock from the very beginning disagreed that homosexuals could be cured while Freud it took him a little longer to come around to that but um, he was also he was based in Austria and he doesn't have as much recognition as Freud because Freud's legacy as we talk about in a minute um, is longer lasting than him but Ellis did a lot more in the initial research of uh, of homosexuality and sexual inversion which again in the last episode we talked about inversion therapy which is basically um, assuming that any person who's gay is gay because they actually want to be the opposite sex so. it's just pretty interesting to me that a straight person would want to spend would want to yeah. dedicate their life to studying well, it was if a, it was a, considered a phenomenon at the time because people weren't out, and even though there were a lot of gay people like that this time, so we see the arc. Everybody's everybody's fucking everybody in you know the early uh, part of the uh, the early part of the millennium, and then um, and then all of a sudden the church gets involved, and men like Thomas Aquinas start really pushing for homosexuality to be criminalized. We forgot to get our candles. We did. We didn't get our Thomas candles, but we're going to. Yes. Um, so, so then, so then, like homosexuality is wrong and it's bad, and all of a sudden everyone pretends like it never existed, you know. And and again, like the homosexuals are just deviants, and there's just a few of them. And we talked in like our first episode about Florence, Italy, where like two thirds of the men in Florence had been accused of homosexual acts in the 1400s, and people were still going around like, nope, nobody's gay, nobody's gay, and. Um, but so now so people are in denial about homosexuality and then doctors start coming along and they're treating it like it's this new phenomenon the new gay so did everybody just like end up getting closeted and then like that generation died out and then the generation after oh, yeah. them was like well, well nobody closeted and in prison I mean like the, the penalties for homosexuality up until this point were so harsh that people weren't living openly anymore and even those who did often would um, treat themselves you know, like, they would refer to themselves as deviants or as, um, you know... Think of themselves as less than? As less than, yeah. They would, you know, put themselves as subhuman, like, I'd openly admit that there was something wrong with them, you know. So we spoke more about Freud because, through his name and prominence, he has a more lasting influence in the history of conversion therapy. However, Ellis was very important and influential in his time. He's... Uh, and he's another one of those characters that we mentioned we plan to discuss more thoroughly in the future. But uh, moving on, conversion therapy and the idea that homosexuals could be cured progressed through the 20th century and was actually spearheaded by men like Edmund Burglar, the guy who wrote about how frigid women are. Yep. Uh, there were some extreme measures used to treat this disease, everything from locking an, individu- an individual away in a mental institute to having them chemically castrated. 
to even performing lobotomies on some repeat offenders. Remember, don't uh, get a lobotomy. Yeah, don't get a lobotomy. But it is at this time that we see the most common form of treatment come into play with the introduction of aversion therapy. So, aversion therapy is a form of psychological treatment in which a patient is exposed to a stimulus while simultaneously simultaneously, being subjected to some form of discomfort. So, this is a technique that is used by some psychologists today to help people with issues like quitting smoking, nail biting, overindulging and eating. It's also been used to treat alcoholics and addicts. And it's still being used by a few establishments to cure people of their same-sex attraction. Basically, an individual is being conditioned to have a very negative reaction every time they try to indulge in whatever activity they were trying to avoid. So even if a person were to undergo aversion therapy and later decide they were happy with themselves, that doesn't mean that they won't still suffer from the physical and emotional trauma to which their body was subjected. So it's just conditioning the the body to have a negative reaction to, you know, whatever is stimulating you. What the hell was that? A cell phone. Wow, this is why we don't bring our cell phones to work, Paul. What are you doing? I was just checking. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm just going to take a little social media break. Right, I'm going to be right with you. Just give me one second. Thanks for thanks for coming back. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> so anyway, so aversion. So yeah. So um, so aversion therapy is you know, and we're going to talk about some of the methods, but it's just establishing that when you have this reaction. Whatever reaction we don't want you to have, we're going to give you a negative response to that reaction so that you won't want to have that reaction anymore. So the shitty thing is like 10 years down the road, they could think that they're like, you know, all right, I accept myself. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to like live my life as who I truly am. And then they go on a date and they're on a date, you know, either a guy with a guy or whatever the situation may be, you know, that they were trained was wrong. They'll be sitting there and all of a sudden they'll just vomit because that's how they were um, conditioned. Exactly, yeah. Later on, we're going to play a clip from a man named Samuel Brinton, who's our, um, he actually uh, does not, he's non-binary. Um, but he, uh, you know, he talks about how he went underwent um, conversion therapy and aversion therapy in that, and we'll play that clip. But he later talked about how when he went on his a date and he had his first kiss, he immediately threw up after. You know, and this was years later after this happened. I, did they get a second date? Huh? I don't know. You know, he doesn't talk about that. Probably But not. I know that he's <laughs> not. I don't think he's dating now, so I don't think they're still together. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's it's sad because it's you can later on, like, of the biggest controversy in conversion therapy is right now is that youths are subjected to it. So children are having to undergo this and they're undergoing these awful treatments at, you know, their formative years. They're going between 30 to 13 and 17. And then later on, they could come out, they could go off to college, they get older, they leave their house, they realize I'm okay with being me. I'm okay that I'm trans. I'm okay that I'm gay, bisexual. And, but they still, their body still has been conditioned to have negative responses to their normal natural reactions. Wow. Yeah. And those are like the worst years to get any kind of like therapy anyways. That's yeah. <laughs> altering how you perceive yourself. Mm-hmm. When you're 13 to 17, you're going through so much shit already. You don't oh need God. any additional pressure from anyone. Like right. saying you're right, you're wrong. Like you just need to be you and maybe get help for issues that you're experiencing. But you definitely shouldn't be subjected to like... Conversion. It's, it's such a confusing time for any teenager, and then someone who's addressing such a huge 
like question in life like what's my orientation what's my gender identity and then the throw on top of it like it's okay just sit in here buddy we're gonna strap you to this chair we're gonna help you figure it out it's just a shitty way to treat people absolutely if you're thinking this reminds me of pavlov's dogs then you're on the right track the difference is that while Pavlov's experiments associated the ringing bell with something positive, aversion therapy associates a reaction with something negative. The most common techniques are electroshock and induced nausea. Though extreme, though extreme heat and cold, foul smells and tastes, and even direct violence has been used in some cases, uh, we want to clarify that physical assault is not considered a recognized or appropriate form of aversion therapy, yet the label has been mis- misused. <laughs> the label has been... <laughs> I don't know. I don't fucking know. (laughs) The label has been misused in that way. We're now going to take a moment to hear personal testimony from Samuel Brinton on the physical tortures he faced in conversion therapy during the 2000s. And it started with the first few weeks. I had AIDS. I was the only gay person left in the world because the government found all the other gays and killed them as children. If they found me, they would kill me. It's the perfect way to keep a child or a teen from coming out. And we moved on to physical therapy. Physical therapy was my hands being um, tied down and blocks of ice being placed on my hands. Then pictures of men holding hands would be shown to me, so that way I would associate the concept of the pain of ice with a man touching me. It worked really, really, really well. My dad could barely even hug me anymore when I would scream out in pain. Then we went into heat. So um, coils would be wrapped around my hands and you would be able to turn the heat on or off. So now if we had a picture of a guy and a girl hugging, it was no pain. If there was a picture of a guy and a guy hugging, we had physical pain. Um, we then went into the, um, the month of hell. The month of hell consisted of tiny needles being stuck into my fingers, um, and then uh, pictures of explicit acts between men would be shown and I'd be electrocuted. At this point, I was completely done. God did not want me on this earth anymore. Um, so we lived on a three-story building. I told my sister goodbye, and I walked to the, I walked to the roof. So my mom finds me up on the roof. Uh, says, you know, she will love me again if I will just change. Because my sister had tattled on me. Um, my mom's up there. You know, you'll, she'll love me again if I'll just change. Um, which is not the thing to say to a person standing on the edge of a, of a building. So um, today, Samuel <laughs> Brinton is the chief advocacy offer, officer for the Trevor Project, as well as the founder of the Born Perfect Campaign and a graduate in nuclear engineering from Mass Institute of Technology. He has dedicated his life to advocacy, and there's an amazing talk he gave on Google a few years ago that you have to check out on YouTube, and we're going to drop the link on our social media pages, but he really encourages people to listen to it and to um, to listen to it and to check it out. He did a lot with his life. He, he has, and he's still so young, and that's a, you know that's the thing. And, um, and remember, his story happened in the early 2000s, as, like we said, so this is not something that happened... Uh, years ago, this isn't something that happened in the '80s. In you know, it wasn't like 1965 no. Stone Wall. No, yeah, exactly. And I think that some people think that that's that's what happens. And a lot of reparative therapists today, because we'll talk about that's the that's the term that they they've changed to. But a lot of conversion therapists, reparative therapists today, like to get up and say, "We don't do this to people anymore. We don't electroshock them. We don't wrap their hands in hot coils and and." Uh, make them you know feel extreme heat or extreme cold we're not monsters but they do 
maybe not every institute, not every establishment. There's also talk therapy, which is a big thing where they just try to get you to talk until you feel really shitty about yourself. So you want to change who you are. Um, but, but they, they're, they're, and there's so much, there's so much like, even if you were to take the physical component out of it, there's just so much like psychological head fucking mm-hmm. that. And if you're taught that, like, well, unless you do this, you're not going to be accepted by anybody. You're not going to be loved by anybody. You're going to live this life of squalor and misfortune. Exactly. Like telling someone, like uh, Dan uh, Samuel says in some of his uh, in some of his story on the Google talk about how he's told that he was the only gay. Like, there's it's back to that lie, right? That lie of gay people don't really exist. You are an exception. That's why there's something wrong with you. You know, it's kind of like uh, like us growing up in Indiana. We didn't see any other gay people. No. Well, I actually, I went to public school, and I, okay. there actually were um, a few openly gay people in my high school, and they were well, like, nobody had any problems with them. They were very, you know, as popular yeah. as most average children, most, yeah. average, most average high school students were. <laughs> um, and how but, popular are high school students? But very. yeah, I got you. But I don't know. There was still that, like, they were very brave feeling mm-hmm. and like the area just was like overall not like like if I came out and only my high school knew I came out like I probably would have been fine yeah but it was the outside world knowing that was scary yeah yeah well yeah I mean I heard a lot of stories I I grew up in a Christian school and so like we didn't talk about LGBTQ people at all I didn't know like like I didn't I didn't know any gay people of course, I knew that there were gay people out there, but it, I, you know, they were, they were all, like I say, I always use the term deviants because that was used a lot, but like also all gay men were pedophiles, you know, there was no such thing as a lesbian and transgender people, they, there were, the transgender people were all locked away in men's, mental institutes. Like I didn't know that there was a thing. Right. And so... Um, I actually, when I, when I, before I came out, like I went to my, um, church had a rehab center and what they treated, um, homosexuality and transgender individuals or gender identity issues as a, an an addiction. And so I went through a program for addictions. Um, but I did not like, I didn't have to, we didn't do any, I didn't do any aversion therapy. I don't know if they did it for the men. Um, like we didn't have, we never performed any aversion therapy on anyone that I know of, but we did, we did like, we did have multiple people in our program that were there because they were gay or because they were struggling with their gender. I always thought it was really interesting that it was like, Hey, these people are openly gay. We should put them all in a room together and, <laughs> and like make them sleep in the same building. Like, you know what we're going to do to you? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, buddy. We're going to take you, we're going to put you out in this house with a bunch of other men. Really man you up there, okay? <laughs> you're gonna shower together, you're gonna sleep together, and I'm gonna tell you if you don't walk away straight after that, I don't know how to help you. Because <laughs> this is the best that I know how to do. But I, the, well, the, we always knew the guys that were there because they were gay because they had two separate houses. They had the the women's house and they had the men's house. And at that time, you know, I'm still living as a woman, so I'm living in the women's building. And they tried very, they were very serious about keeping the men and women split. But they would always send the gay guys over to help with chores around the women's house. <laughs> you always knew the ones. I don't know if they were like, they just know it was safe or they were like really hoping that the gay guys might like slip and hook up with one of the girls there. I also don't understand like why, okay, you're wanting 
to convert them to be straight? Why are you working so hard to keep them separate? Shouldn't you be like putting them on dates or something? Like mock dates? I don't know. Like Why? shouldn't they be interacting? Well, you're also there for your addiction, so you're not supposed to really date while you're in rehabs. But that's what I mean. That's why they would let the the, the gay guys come over to the women's house because they I guess they were hoping that like a romance would start. And the girls tried. I'm gonna tell you they did try because I mean we only had like me there's me and one other girl that were there for any kind of like sexual orientation like issues the other girls were, were straight and they definitely flirted with the guys and they would always just like uh-huh yeah <laughs> they try you know they're trying to like flirt back i don't know but again then they're going back home to a house full of men so yeah it's, like, <laughs> it's just so backwards it's like i told you like one of the like conversion techniques is that i don't have in here is you know journey into manhood where like they take all these guys out into the middle of the woods <laughs> and they get together and they put on this play. <laughs> they do a play of like Jack and the Giant Beanstalk. They talk about what? Jack and his stock, okay? And it's about manhood and, and his they... magic beans. All of the <laughs> all of like the employees, his, sack, his yeah. magic sack, yeah. All of the employees have a have their sack of their magic beans. Oh, they wear it on their, their fucking yes. they, they wear it around their neck. Yeah. This, this sack of beans, sack of balls. <laughs> And they walk around with them, and then and then they'll have these hugging sessions where they like they get in, they'll they'll hug each other for three to seven minutes, and it's not sexual. They stated on their website, "This is not a sexual." It's experience. a man hug. This is just a man hug. A bunch of manly guys in the middle of the woods reclaiming their manhood. So, which, <laughs> <laughs> so if you would like to have a retreat with a bunch of men and you're gay, I would suggest you know try and journey into manhood. So. I wouldn't suggest that. I'm not really <laughs> suggesting that. Don't do it. It was probably a horrible weekend. <laughs> it was sad though to see some of these guys because some of them they were they were real they were pretty gay. Yeah. I oh, mean, they always are. You don't want to stereotype, but you're also like, I can see why you're here, buddy. <laughs> so, returning to our recap, as we stated last episode, Homosexuality was removed from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the DSM, in 1973 by the American Psychiatric Association. After this, almost every major medical institute would follow suit in no longer recognizing same-sex attraction as a disease or mental disorder. Uh, And that is when we see religious individuals and organizations take over conversion therapy. Uh, By far the most prominent and influential proponent of conversion therapy in today's age was Joseph Nikolsky. Nicolasi. Joseph Nicolasi, who would bring about a whole new level of hate and pain to the LGBT community. First of all, your last name is probably one of the weirdest last names I ever saw in my <laughs> Somebody whole life. listening to this is going to be, hey, my name's Gerard Nicolasi. What are you talking about? There's never been another person with that last name. <laughs> His son, he's Nicolasi Sr. That means there's a junior running around, which I don't, I, I, I haven't found him. So, um,. Nicolasi, this guy is a piece of work. He, watching him was really rough because I watched a lot of videos of people that support um, conversion therapy, that believe that homosexuals can be cured. And most of the people, like, I would watch and I would roll my eyes. Occasionally I would laugh. But this guy had so much hate and bitterness in his heart. And I think it's because, my personal opinion, I don't know why, but I think it's just, he was, so he was a legitimate doctor, and you have to point that out, because 
in places like it the, matters it matters well like some people in the church that I grew up in which was a, really a cult they had their own college it was unaccredited and they would ha- hand out these honorary doctorate degrees to like <laughs> whoever whoever came around that they liked they're like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna make you a doctor and then these guys would go around go out into the real world and they would call themselves doctor and be like my name's Dr. Jack and they're not really a doctor. They haven't fucking done anything to be a doctor, but they would claim that title. But Dr. Nicolosi, Nicolosi is a, he's a legitimate doctor. And I think that his bitterness comes from being rejected by everyone else in his field. Like nobody t- took him seriously once he got on this, um, you know, reparative therapy kick. Yeah. So, Nicolasi is hailed as the creator of reparative therapy, which he originated in 1981. It is the most common form of conversion therapy used today in first world countries that allow for this treatment. We just want to pause to remind our listeners that many countries still mark homosexuality illegal, and they place harsh penalties on those accused of being gay or transgender or simply not conforming to the culture's gender and sexual standards. However, in other countries where homosexuals and transgender individuals are free to express themselves, conversion therapy is often permitted and used heavily in some circles. Nicolasi's reparative therapy is acclaimed by some because it does not utilize or encourage the drastic physical measures of aversion therapy. But we do want to point out that just because you don't electrocute people doesn't make you a good person. And Joseph Nicolasi is the perfect example of how much harm can be done to an individual psychologically and emotionally without ever inflicting physical pain. He's caused immense harm to countless LGBTQ individuals and his pseudoscience and false promises were used to hinder the queer rights movement for decades. Yeah, so he's a, he's a piece of work. There's a lot of clips on him on YouTube if you want to look it up. I'm not. Also, his website sucks. <laughs> That's the one I showed you, with the with the guy in the jean jacket on the front. Oh my god! So on this guy's <laughs> website, JosephNicolasi.com, he has. <laughs> it's right here. It's yeah, right but here. I don't know how to say like. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this, we'll, post, we'll post a picture of this. Don't worry. So the guy he has on his header, um, his header hero for his website, and I don't. Okay, I'm just going to say it. He has the most clearly gay person. The gayest guy that... Well, I don't want to say the gayest guy you could find. No, but he's definitely like... He has gay face. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yes. That's a thing in the gay community? Look gay at my face? face. Look at another guy's face. I have gay face. <laughs> All right, please look at Ross, Look at Ross Matthews. Look at another man. I don't Ross know who Ma- Ross Matthews is. You're fired. You're, you're discontinued from this. I don't know who, that, who is that. He's a host on... He does a lot of stuff, but he is on Drag Race. He's one of the judges. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the, that's definitely a gay face. This is like... Like, look at him <laughs> and look at any other guy. Well, Please and, make sure that you comment on our social media what you think about gay face. Like, gay face... <laughs> like, look at these guys. <laughs> They're all clearly gay. Did you type in gay face? Yes, I did. You typed in gay face Lance Bass. Okay. No, I didn't. I just typed in gay face. You did? No, I know. I'm telling them the people that... Oh. that who, when you type in gay face, Lance Bass pops up. Chris Colfer pops up. Um, who else do we got here? Um, oh, look at um, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, you didn't know. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris is here. Um, 
Taylor, what's his face? The guy from Twilight who dated Taylor Swift, which he's not <laughs> gay, but I, I get the Taylor, I get the gay face thing there. Maybe um, he is, and he just hasn't come out. So it looks like someone has done some kind of biometrics are here with these faces to tell you how you can know if your face is gay. <laughs> it's my face gay. It's a new app. You scan your face and like, how gay is my face? No, I think there actually was a thing where you could scan your face and it could predict if you were gay or not. And it was oh, accurate like 90 95% of the time. That sounds dangerous. Because people just go around. <laughs> it's like some wife is worried that her husband's cheating He's on her with a man. And she's, and like, she's like, yeah. <laughs> You're cheating on me, motherfucker. I saw the way you were looking at the waiter last night. <laughs> yeah, so also you didn't read them the quote there. The quote on Nicolosi's um, website is, if gay doesn't define you, you don't have to be gay. Because he's it's a real deep quote there. <laughs> so just remember that. Get a, get a tattoo of that on your back or something. It's probably the worst quote ever. Like, If gay doesn't define you, you don't have to be gay. Like, if you don't like mac and cheese, mac and cheese doesn't like you. <laughs> okay <laughs> I don't yeah <laughs> so Nicolasi founded the Thomas Aquin why Aquinas why Tom, this guy he's always here he's wherever you turn Thomas Aquinas is popping up again right, so he's just gonna be Aqua from now on like, like the band <laughs> Nicolasi founded the Thomas Aqua Psychological <laughs> Clinic which was located in Encino. Encino. I think. If you're from Encino. It's Encino, California. Now you, you see, so you just every time you come across a word that you don't like, you just make it into something that you want, and it works. <laughs> I've that. made it this far in life. I'm a very <laughs> successful, somewhat person, and I'm living my life, right? Yeah. Okay. So no, no, that's. I really think Encino, it's Encino California. California. <laughs> it's located in Encino, California. If you remember from our first episode. Thomas Aqua Aquinas <laughs> Thomas Aquinas was the 13th century priest who is the driving force behind demonizing homosexuality in Western Europe and promoting the theory of natural law as proof that same-sex attraction was unnatural. It is no accident or coincidence that Nicolasi chose the name Thomas Aquinas for his so-called psychological clinic. This clinic closed down in 2017 shortly after the founder's death. How, wait, so he's dead? Yes. Then why yes. is his website still up? Well, that's... I don't know why his website's still up. <laughs> his clinic shut down, but they're keeping the website I'm going to buy the domain name, and I'm going to change it to something gay. <laughs> if you could. Where was I at? Um, However, the institute mm-hmm. uh, yep. Dr. Nicolosi is most known for is NARTH, the National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality. NARTH couldn't have its own... Oh, North could have its own episode, and very well may in the future, but for now, we will give a brief overview. Yeah. So, founded in 1992 <laughs> by Nicolasi, Benjamin Kaufman, and Charles Sockeridge. So, Nikki, <laughs> Benny, and Charlie started the organization, uh, and it was a cre- cre- created as a response to the APA, the American Psychological Association, and other medical institutes for removing homosexuality from the DSM, the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, and for refusing to acknowledge that homosexuality could be cured. So basically, they're like, I, I know all of you guys have gotten together and you said that gays can't be cured, but you know what? You're all wrong. <laughs> and so... Me, Benny, and Charlie are going to go over here. We're just going to start our own institute to prove that we're right. (laughs) So though it labels itself as a secular institute, its research, and that's in quotes, is used almost strictly by religious organizations. 
Here's a list of some of the conversion therapy organizations that use NARTH or their affiliates and what religions with which they're associated. So there was Evergreen International, which was of the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. Uh, they merged with North Star, which was also an LDS organization. What does LDS mean? That's Latter-Day Saints, Mormons. They 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 like they prefer. I don't know. I one day I'll figure out why the Latter Day Saints the, and the Mormons. I don't know what they the same the, people? they're the same people. I don't know why they have two different names because they're special. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know one name for each wife, something like that. <laughs> um, there's Joel two twenty five International. That's a Bible verse. Oh, I went to look that up. I went. I gotta look it up real quick because. Um, I, I, it's a very awful Bible verse that they chose. N- not like awful, like it says awful things, but just like I don't get it. All right, so Joel 2.25 says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts and other locusts and the locust swarm. <laughs> My great army that I sent among you. So somebody decided to name an entire organization after this Bible verse. Let me read it one more time. Joel 2.25 I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locusts over there and the locusts over there. My great army that I sent among you. So I don't know. This, this, this. You know what? They were saying that gay people were locusts. <laughs> there, there were so many of them. I'm just, I'm just gonna start a whole spinoff podcast of me translating the Bible. <laughs> I actually think people really enjoy that—a gay man's translation of the Bible. You should, you should do that. So, Joel two twenty five International. They are evangelical Christians. They have the and they work with Narth. And, oh God! <laughs> I don't know what you. What are you lost our plates and notes? You're way no, no. You're way up here. <laughs> don't touch things <laughs> when we're recording. <laughs> All right. Then there's PATH, P-A-T-H, Positive Alternatives to Homosexuality. It's just a generic Christian organization. There's Homosexuals Anonymous, which is a fundamentalist Christians founded by the Seventh-day Adventist. They're just a fundamentalist group. So, but what? I feel like there's way too many religious groups. They should all just combine or something. There's like, <laughs> there's like too many different... I feel like that's what the world's been trying to do for a long time. Everyone's been like, and we could all just get along and stop fighting each other. It would be a lot better. And they're like, no! Our Bible's right! But they're I'm all different. the same, aren't they? They're not. How dare you? How <laughs> they all dare say the you? same thing with different names. <laughs> How dare you imply that everybody believing that there's a God in the heavens that created everything and is going to take half of the people to heaven and condemn the half to hell is somehow the same thing because it is not the same thing. <laughs> you're Most you're, you're, you're right. They all have different names. <laughs> of course they have different names because they just keep breaking off and they're like, they're like they we're just like, we're the Catholics. They're like, okay, you know what? We're going to be the Methodists. Well, we're going to be the Presbyterians. Well, we're going to be the Lutherans. Well, we're going to be the Baptists. And they just kept breaking off. And that's just the Christians. We haven't even gotten to the other world's religions. We haven't gotten into, like, the Hindus and the Muslims. and the, there's, there's too many. There's too many. Too many to name. What, what, I don't know what, what happened. Just, <laughs> you just got me talking about religion. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about that. All right. There's Courage International, which is the Catholics. There's People Can Change, which is another generic Christian group. And there's Jonah. <laughs> this is a ridiculous name. <laughs> Jonah. 
Jews offering new alternatives for healing, which they just wanted to use the name Jonah, <laughs> so they put all these words in here so that they could. Yep, pretty and much. It's a Jewish organization if you miss that. Uh, so Jonah is very important because in 2015, a New Jersey judge shut down Jonah completely, stating in his ruling, the theory of homosexuality as a disorder is not novel, but like the notion that the earth is flat and the sun revolves around it, instead is outdated and refuted. On June 25th, 2015, the jury had unanimously found Jonah guilty of consumer fraud by claiming to be able to cure homosexuality. This was the first trial ever about conversion therapy in the U.S., and since then, 11 states have outlawed therapy for minors, and the tide against treatment as a whole has shifted dramatically. So how did this group get fucking shut down, but all these other groups are like... Getting... Because people haven't brought suits against them. Uh, I'm just going to bring a suit against them. <laughs> okay, Can that's I the problem. It's, yeah. a, it's, a very, it's, like, it's a long battle, but yeah, but it was, it, it was huge, and you see a big difference. Like, reparative therapy got a lot more quiet after this. Because two big things have happened. First of all, Joseph Nicolosi died in March of 2017, um, which I think I just spoiler alert. I think it's in the next paragraph. Um, and um, and then Jonah was shut down in 2015, and it, these hit like real big blows to conversion therapy in the U.S., especially for minors. Also, what? Hawaii just outlawed conversion therapy. Just saw, I think that's the eleventh one. When did they outlaw it? Like last month. I feel like that's the 11th one, but it could be 12 now. I know that there's a few states that have it in the works, but it hasn't. But, like, they're, they're still through the process of getting it um, of getting it passed. So, so today right. we are seeing a rise in the call to end conversion therapy, especially in the case of minors. However, there are still many people who are fighting back with claims that therapy is even more important now that young people are coming out at a younger age, and especially since transgender... To- and especially since... Why can I not say the word since? I don't know. And it's a gay voice. <laughs> <laughs> Google that and see what comes up. No, don't. Even more important now that young people are coming out at a younger age, and especially since transgender children are becoming allowed to use hormone blockers and start HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. Joseph Nicolasi passed away from complications of the flu at age 70 in March 2017, but there were others to step up and take his place. Two of his most prominent followers are Nancy Piercy and David Pickup. Okay, why is your last name Pickup? I don't know. It's like, That's the most American name <laughs> that I've ever heard. My name's Dave. Dave Pickup, and I love Jesus, and I love guns, and I really love men when they're naked and I get a little aroused with it but it's okay because I went underwent reparative therapy and uh, I'm totally cured and I only get an erection whatever I watch 16% of the time 16% of the time <laughs> um, Piercy is a Baptist and a scientist two words that never mix well together oh, I can't believe it she is a legitimate sci- I mean legitimate she has a degree in science let's say that go ahead um, she recently released the anti-transgender book, ironically titled "Love Thy Body." That makes no sense. Okay, these people like don't think before they do things. No, no, they do think. They're trying to reclaim all this. They're they're all about we're reclaiming the narrative. We're bringing it back for us and for Jesus. No, so she's love thy body. She's basically saying that transgender people don't love their bodies, even though we're trying to love our bodies by like, you know, that's the whole point of getting on therapies is like you learn to love your body but sometimes you need a little extra help especially if you don't feel in tune with your body yeah makes sense so she's hailed by conservatives as america's preeminent 
evangelical. Oh my god. <laughs> held, she's hailed by conservatives as America's preeminent evangelical Protestant. Why? This is too. Read the fucking sentence. <laughs> <laughs> she's hailed by conservatives as America's preeminent evangelical Protestant female intellectual. And yes, that was a mouthful. I'm glad you put that in the note. <laughs> Piercy argues using a lot of big words that essentially boil down to a good old Thomas Aquinas natural law theory. Our bodies have a God-given purpose to procreate, and any any and any deviance from this is unnatural and therefore unhealthy and immoral. It should come as no surprise that Piercy is a primary proponent in the intellect is a primary proponent in the intelligent design movement and therefore evolution is not something she puts a lot of faith in. Yeah, so yeah, so the lady that thinks that in, there's intelligent design and that, you know, and believes in creationism, probably not the person. I mean, like I said, she's a Baptist and a scientist. One of those is they don't go together. <laughs> it's like it's like oil and water. You can't have them together. You can try. You can have one floating on top of the other and pretend that they go together, but they don't mix. So the other leading voice in the cure for LGBTQ individuals is David Pickup. Dave Pickup, and I'm definitely not gay. Pickup is a direct disciple of Nicolasi and continues to carry the message of reparative therapy. While Pickup does not have the major chip on his shoulder that Nicolasi had, he certainly carries the martyr syndrome well. Listening to him to complain about how he's attacked on the internet would almost make a person feel sorry for him if he didn't realize he spends his life making LGBTQ individuals feel ashamed and guilty for their natural desires. Today, he heads the National Task Force for Therapy Equality. Pickup believes that all homosexual men choose homosexuality for one of three reasons. Number one, because of male, inf infior infi <laughs> because of male inferiority. They feel that other men are more masculine and therefore more deserving. Number two, severe lack of male needs, love, affirmation, approval, and affection. Or three, because they were sexually abused. In his opening letter objecting to the therapy ban bill, Pickup writes to legislators, Do you know what it's like to be a heterosexual and sexually abused by a budding pedophile? And we don't want to diminish sexual abuse at all, but it, this narrative Number one, spreads the lie that all pedophiles are gay. And number two, spreads the lie that being sexually abused makes you gay. And um, and I just want to point out how lazy uh, they are in coming up with quotes. <laughs> so we talked about how Joseph Nicolosi's homepage states, If gay doesn't define you, you don't have to be gay. And David Pickup's great line is, If you don't hug your boy, another man will. And you know what? My father didn't really hug me, so... I mean... Well, you're just giving him fuel, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so so really good, so good, good catchphrases. If you don't hug your boy, someone else will. I love it. It's kind of creepy. It's, it's weird. It's really strange. Yeah. Uh, so that's all we have time for today. And like we said, we will be... Delving. Why can't I read? It's the it's the alcohol. <laughs> so, like we said, we'll be delving deeper into some of. The <laughs> <laughs> I thought that a drink was going to loosen you up, but apparently it, it loosened too loose. Yeah, it loosened my tongue. Your up mouth it, doesn't work. My tongue's like. Yeah. So, um, like we said, we will be delving deeper into some of these people and organizations later on in our series. But today, we wanted to give you an idea of where we, as a nation, specifically, are on the issues of conversion therapy. 
And before we close out, we want to remind you that 39 states still allow for minors to be subjected to conversion therapy. In our second episode, we quoted that almost 700,000 Americans have undergone therapy, and more will continue to be subjected to this outdated and harmful treatment. It is important to be aware and to help where you can. There are several states with therapy bans on their ballots, so please be sure to vote. Yes. So, I mean, this year there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot on the ballot, and, and next year to come. Uh, we talked about Samuel Brinton, and we re- our recommended resource for today is his Google speech, which we will drop in our links. But um, he his Born Perfect campaign, like that's what they they do. They go out and they push states to ban uh, conversion therapy. They're pushing for a nationwide ban um, for conversion therapy for minors. So um, it's important that you be aware of what's on your ballot. Vote, um, write to your legislators if you can, your congressmen and women. Um, but again, that link will be on all our social media. And if you want to just look it up yourself, you can just Google Samuel Brenton. There's a lot of, uh, there's a couple different things on him. And it's, it's sure to come up his personal story along with a lot of other good information on conversion therapy and what we can do to stop it. So... Make sure you check us out. You can check us out on both Facebook and Twitter at Your Queer Story and also on YourQueerStory.com. If you like this episode and want to keep listening, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribe. And you can find all of those links on our social media. And remember, if you don't hug your son, some other man will. And stay queer and don't get a lobotomy. Don't get a lobotomy. I bought a new book called The Tinder Box, which I'm excited to read. It's about... Is it about tender? No, it's not. It's about um, a, a fire that was before Stonewall and is a fire in the nightclub that... Um, Wait, was that the one in the bar? Uh, yeah, it was upstairs? in the bar. It was in the upstairs, the upstairs lounge. That's the name. Yes. It's the yeah. fire in the upstairs lounge. So I bought I a book. Reading. There's a whole book about it. That's There's a whole book about it. So, well, I mean, I think it's a lot about like what happened pre-Stonewall because everybody... Yeah, everybody looks at Stonewall and like, that's where gay people came from. <laughs> we didn't have any before then. In my day, we didn't have gay people. And then, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> they were just riding in the streets. They came out of nowhere. And then all the gays spread like cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> before you knew it, the disease had spread through the city. And there was a gay, and there was a gay. Everywhere you looked was a gay. Yeah, that was the song. It was a song in the 80s. Was it? No, it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> and there was a gay, and there was a gay, and everybody you looked for the gay. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.